Hi, and welcome to the Lighthouse Church Podcast, where we're diving deeper into God's Word and doing our best to help encourage you in your walk with God. Thanks for joining us. So John chapter 3, all right, you know this scripture. We're going to go there today. Everybody knows this verse, but not everybody, I've talked about it before, but maybe not everybody knows the context of the verse. A lot of people quote scripture and don't realize the context of the scripture that they quote or maybe they have um, maybe we sometimes we see people quote well, you know especially athletes Philippians 4 13 we'll see that a lot and when I don't I wonder a lot of times if athletes understand the context of what it was that they just quoted y'all know what I'm talking about you know people said Jeremiah 29 11 you know uh, but if you look at the context of the verse it's not exactly my life verse I don't want to be 70 some years in prison and enslaved. I don't want that, but uh, nonetheless, that's one of those things. But today, we're going to jump into John chapter 3, our last week of kingdom culture. Uh, although I've had a lot of fun, I've enjoyed it, but I think this is it because today we're going to contrast the, the story of Jesus and, and a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Uh, John chapter 3, and we'll just jump in in verse 16, the one that everybody knows, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his own only begotten one and only son whichever version you're reading that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life verse 17 for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of god's one and only son this is the verdict man this is straight up Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Right Now, Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisee, Nicodemus, in this scripture. And I find it very interesting because Nicodemus was a leader. He was a, a pretty powerful man, uh, to say the least, uh, in his uh, field and as a Pharisee. Um, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling body of the Jews um, that made decisions for the Jewish people uh, as far as like a court of law and things like that. Nicodemus was struggling here, though, to understand Jesus. He said, he said, you know, about being born again. He said all these different things. And so he's like, Nicodemus is trying to wrap his mind around all this conversation that he's having with Jesus. But I think what it is that's interesting to me, and I see it in the church today, I see it all over the place, is that there is this, uh, like Nicodemus, we've studied, we understand the law, we can quote scripture, but we fail to understand the heart of God. And that's the trick here today as we kind of look at these two. Because I don't really, I don't blame Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a result of the culture that he grew up in or that he had been in for a while. And I think for years he had studied it. He knew the law, but he was actually standing and looking at this in the flesh. What's interesting to me as you study Scripture is that you see all these prophecies in the Old Testament that all these Pharisees could just about quote chapter and verse, but still yet when those prophecies came true about the one named Jesus, they said, no, it can't be. Isn't that interesting to see how that the ones who actually knew it uh, were the ones who rejected it, and the ones who didn't know it, maybe necessarily, are the ones who received it. And so it's, it's interesting to, to see how this breaks down. But Jesus brings kingdom culture down to reveal the heart of the Father. That was one of the reasons why Jesus came, was to reveal the heart, the love 
and the sacrifice, obviously, of the Father. So we don't know much about Nicodemus, but we know he has a, he's a strict keeper of the law. Based on my studies, most of the Pharisees seem to be middle-class businessmen. Uh, who had uh, chosen that lifestyle to go into the study and everything else. The Sadducees, you know, we hear about the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Sadducees, according to what I've studied, were more the uppity ones. They were more the ones that were born into it. They were more the upper class. The Pharisees were kind of middle of the road, middle class, maybe middle to upper class. But so we give the Pharisees, I have in the past, a hard way to go. But the truth is, I've probably been one myself, anybody else right? And we also, though, should take time to thank the Pharisees because they were very critical part of preserving the Old Testament as we know it today. So it's very important that they did what they did. Now, so uh, you may have never considered this, and honestly, I've never considered this until this week. Jesus spent just over 90% of his life preparing for the last 10. Did you hear me? <laughs> Look at that. Think about this for a second. The last 10% was the part that we talk about the most. The, the 90% that he lived before that, we know very little about. Very little. We see a few little things in Scripture. But it's interesting to me to think through it. Can we just think through it today? Is that all right? I don't know exactly, but I know a few things about how he grew up. Okay? So think about it. So he grew up the son of a carpenter. So did he build things? Yes. Did he know how to use his hands? No. Had he ever sweated before? Yes, he had. Had he ever done business with somebody before? Yes, he had. Had he done all these things? So think about all the things there. Think about this. So we know from Scripture that Jesus was born in a town named Bethlehem. And he, they stayed there for a while. And then they moved back to Jerusalem. And then because of King Herod wanting to kill all these babies... They moved to Egypt, and they stayed there for a while. And then they came back to, what we know, Jesus from Nazareth. So he grew up in Nazareth. That's where he spent the majority of his time, in Nazareth. Now, interesting, if you just want to know, if you're pretending that Nazareth was uh, in Hampton County. Let's just pretend for a minute it's in Hampton County. Okay, we have to go to whatever town it is. I don't know for sure exactly which town this is. It's not even really a town. Uh, because the population in Nazareth would have been between two and 400 people. The total size of Nazareth would have been about 10 acres. Just to give you some uh, idea, this church sits on almost 13 acres. Okay? So the size of Nazareth was actually smaller than what this church owns in property. And two to 400 people lived on it. <laughs> so they knew each other. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> They're like, that's, that, that's, that, that's old Joseph's kid. That's Mary's kid. That's Jesus, you know. And, and so he grew up knowing different cultures. He had spent some time as an early child, obviously, in Bethlehem and then back in Jerusalem and then over in Egypt. He probably remembers some of the stuff that was going on in Egypt and everything else. And then he moves on over to Nazareth and he spends time there. And Nazareth was a very conservative town. If it was, <laughs> I don't know, no, I'm not even going to gather. So, that's going to get political, and I don't want to do it. So they were observant Jews. They circumcised their sons. They celebrated Passover. They did not work on the Sabbath. They traveled to the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and they valued the traditions of Moses and the prophets. So Jesus grew up in this atmosphere, but Jesus also understood what it was like to be poor, 
He had done business, I'm sure, with people who were wealthy. He had done all sorts of things. And so this is a man who's been a very observant uh, young man for 90% of his life. And so despite Nicodemus' ability to understand the culture, Jesus was introducing to him. Jesus very much knew the culture that he was in because he had lived 90% of his life in this culture and others. And so his desire, I believe, was to bring kingdom culture down into this culture. And when he did it, people didn't understand it. They, didn't, they couldn't grasp it. And, so, and we could see all this happening. But one of the things that we see that Jesus did, and I want to kind of throw out there to us, and I think that we do a pretty good job over here at our church, is that Jesus brought an authentic culture, an authentic environment. It was just authentic. And that's what really upset the Pharisees, that he would eat with a tax collector, that he would sit at the table with an adulteress, that he would touch somebody who was sick, and that he would do some of these things on the Sabbath. Because that's the worst thing that he could have done. But Jesus traveled, he ate, he slept, he, he drank, he ministered with these partners of his, and he knew people's hearts. And that's something that Pharisees cannot say that they did because they were, you know, keeping the law and not uh, uh, making themselves known to people and not understanding the needs and, and the desires of people and the hurts of people. John 15, 15 says that Jesus said, I no longer, he said this to his disciples, he said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Look at what Jesus did right there. Now, I love Jesus and I am not afraid to sing the song that goes along with it. I am a friend of God. I'm a friend of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus says, no longer do I call you a servant. I call you a friend because I have revealed the secrets of my Father to you. Right? So we know that we're, we're moving up in the relationship there whenever that happens. But Jesus, think about it. If we want to learn about kingdom culture, here it is. Jesus began his teaching ministry. Where did he do that? Matthew chapter 5. What was that? The Beatitudes. And he preached this big sermon. First one that we ever see. He's teaching this ministry, teaching his, his teaching ministry kicked off on a hill surrounded by hungry, wounded people who were yearning for something new and something different. Now, they misperceived him completely. They totally didn't get the idea, and neither would have I if I had been there. I would have been like, oh, man, I'm voting for him. I hope he runs for president, because if he does, I'm voting for him. Count it down, baby. right? But that's not what Jesus was there for, and they didn't understand that. And so I would have been the same way. And so here he is. They've drawn to him. He connected directly and intimately with them, something that no Pharisee had ever done before that I know of. And these blessings that he talked about, the Beatitudes, the focus on our emotional life, you know, like our mourning, our passion, our fear, our suffering. He talked about these things. My prayer over the last few days, because I, was, I felt very convicted earlier this week, uh, because I was like, you know what, I'm praying that God would soften me so that I could be more attached to people's thoughts and th people's ways and people's feelings and their emotions and everything else. I don't want to carry what they're carrying. I just want to have more empathy. I want to be more connected to the emotional part because I believe that Jesus cried with people that cried. And I believe that Jesus danced with people that were dancing. 
And I believe that Jesus ate at the table when people were eating. I believe that he didn't go into it and say, no, I'm too good for this. If anybody could ever say that, it would have been Jesus, right? But over and over in Scripture, we see him in the Gospels doing this thing. And so my prayer is, if I'm going to be more like Jesus, I have to be more, have more empathy and more compassion toward people. So I remember this pastor several years ago. His name was uh, Tim. And Pastor Tim was a very oddball fellow, a very oddball. And when I first met him, I was like, this guy is a crazy, but I want more of it. You know, that was one of those things. About the same age as me. He was the, probably about the smartest man I've ever met in my life. Um, he had um, his family, uh, they were not poor, they were not rich, they were just kind of middle of the road. So he didn't grow up poor, he didn't grow up rich. His brother went to college and became a lawyer, and his, his brother owned this big law firm that was specialized in defending people. And so, you know, he was the, the slum of the slum. You know, he was the defense attorney. So he lied like crazy all the time. He actually hired his, his brother, Tim, Pastor Tim, actually went to law school. And while he was in law school, he went to work for his brother, who was a defense attorney. But somewhere in there, Jesus got a hold of Tim. And so Jesus began to meet with his clients because it was like a, a pre-trial um, thing where he had to talk to them and coach them through this so that they knew what to say. And he was leading them all to Jesus. And then they would get on the stand and they would say, I did it, which isn't good business for an defense attorney. Attorney, You know what I'm saying? So his brother said, I hate to do this, but i got to fire you. So his brother fired him okay, because he was leading his, his clients to Jesus. And he said, Pastor Tim laughed about it. He said, I understand why he had to fire me. So he said, I studied and I finished. He finished the top in his class in his law school. Very top. He was on his way driving to getting to set for his bar exam, which I'm sure he would have passed the first time. And somewhere on the way, God intervened. And he said, either you go that way or you follow me. And he was literally on his way to take his bar exam and he took a right instead of taking a left. And he never sat for that bar exam. Instead, he started this church. And this church, I can go into details than I want. But here's the point of me telling you this about Pastor Tim. I've never seen anybody more intelligent because intelligence to me has nothing to do with how much you know about a book. Intelligence with me is not how much money you make. Intelligence to me is when you can sit at the table with somebody who is rich beyond their means and be okay and sit at the same table with somebody who's so poor they can't afford a hot dog and still be okay. And I've never seen anybody being able to relate to anybody he's seen than Pastor Tim. He was good at it. And he wasn't intimidated by anybody. And you know, it's not many people that are that way. Some of us, we either, we, we like our type of people. We like our vibe. We go toward those people. We like the people that are in our industry. We like the people, if we're poor, we want to be around poor people because we be around rich people. We hate those people. Those are bad people. It's like I got this message from this guy this week on social media, uh, TikTok, and, and it's just an absolute insane um, social media platform. But nonetheless, this guy, he said, what's your shirt say? I said, iron sharpens iron. He said, what is that, some kind of religious say? I said, yeah, it's in Scripture, in Proverbs 27, iron sharpens iron. I said, you know, like you sharpen me. He said, oh, I trust me. I ain't sharpening you. And you ain't sharpening me because I don't believe what you believe. And I'm not religious like you are. As a matter of fact, I know you hate me because of your beliefs. And I said, what? 
And so we start going back and forth about it. And I'm like, you know, what, what, how fair is it for you to say to me that I hate you when you don't even know me? And why is it that he feels the way that he feels about people who believe what I believe? Maybe just a bad church experience. Maybe he was been around religious people. And so I thought back to Pastor Tim. I thought, you know what? I want to sit at the people, sit at the table with the people that are mad at me. And I want to sit at the people, sit at the table with the people that are ready to party with me. You know what I mean? But it's not exactly where all of us are. And as I look back to, to Pastor Tim, which I've lost connection with, and I think about that very guy who could sit and, and just, and here's what really made me really, really think about this a lot. Pastor Tim didn't have a rock star testimony. He didn't have this testimony where he'd get up and say, yeah, I, I sniffed this drug and I smoked this drug and I injected this drug and I cheated on this many women and, and, and man, here I am. And people are like, wow. <laughs> he was boring. He had no testimony. He didn't do anything bad. The worst thing he'd ever done was lead people to Jesus and get fired from his brother's law firm. That was the worst thing he'd ever done. And I realized something. You don't have to be poor to have compassion for those that are. You don't have to be cheated on for you to have compassion for those that have been cheated on. You don't have to have done drugs for you to have compassion for those that are really hung up on them. Because when you have the heart and the kingdom culture that Jesus came with, you have the empathy and the compassion toward mankind. And so that's where I'm like, okay, that's where I want to be. That's where I want our church to be. And I don't think that I'm not perfect, and I screw up, and I mess up. How about y'all? There are still people that I see, and I'm like, yeah, no. I know you love them, God, but I don't want to be around them, you know, or whatever it may be. And it doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. And I don't think that I have to experience these things in order to have compassion toward these people. Jesus brought that culture into this world and went on to influence Nicodemus to connect the heart of Jesus with the mind of Jesus. And we could see at the end of the story that Nicodemus has a lot to do with his burial and things like that. Anyway, that's a whole other story. But we see the culture that Jesus invited to the table. And it makes people uncomfortable. It absolutely makes them uncomfortable. And so I just want to give you some examples, if it's okay, as, as we finish this up today. Uh, I've got some things, and I'm going to need some help because, you know, uh, some of the people that Jesus invited, um, you know, I'm just going to have to have some help. So, Jim, why don't you come up here because you're, you're, you're right there. And, and so, and Jim, <coughs> we're going to give him a, 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 I don't know what you call this, a sign, and he can hold that right there in front of him. And so, and so, and I'm going, Rhett, why don't you come up here, because, uh, Rhett, Rhett, I didn't ask you, and there's a reason I didn't, because you told me no, probably, but anyway, so here you are, so you can go and hold it up, you just stand right there, and Rhett, I'm going to get you to come up here, and I want you to hold this one right here, because Rhett's influential, uh, so, and so, <laughs> and she, she laughed real hard, like you're not, stuff like that, maybe I should give you like uh, uh, desperate or like uh, look down upon or something, <laughs> right, so, so, all right, so I'm going to get somebody else here, uh, you know, I don't ever, I don't hardly ever do this, uh, but maybe Scott Brunson ought to come up here, you know, we're just going to get some guys, over here. come on, Scott, and I'm going to give you one of the best ones right here, uh, possessed, uh, <laughs> possessed, <laughs> it was next in line, I promise you, I wasn't trying to trick you or anything, so, 
And, and then, and then, you know, somebody right here, I don't know, Cynthia, come on up here. We ain't got no women up here yet. And Amber, why don't you come up here too? Why don't you come up? So, uh, Cynthia is, is, is I'm going to give you that one because you're desperate. Uh, so, you're desperate. And, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about your shoes because you're looked down upon anyway. That's what you, <laughs> that's what your sign says. So, I want you to look here behind me this morning just, just to see. These are some of the people that Jesus invited to the table. And people were upset about it because he invited the outcasts. And we can see in Scripture in Matthew 8 when Jesus was approached by a guy with leprosy. And the, the tradition was that nobody touched the leopard and people would cover their faces because they were afraid they were going to catch what he had. And, and so and Jesus, I believe, I believe with everything in me that one of the first things that Jesus did before he ever said anything is he went and touched him. You know why? Because how long it had been since he'd been touched. Because that's not somebody you invite to the table. But Jesus seen him and everybody else said no. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to go touch the man. The man that had never been touched. And you know, could you imagine the emotion when this man who hadn't been touched in who knows how long by anybody, any human being, actually somebody, the Son of God, approaches him and touches him. And so Jesus invited him to the table. You say, well, I don't remember that invitation. Anybody that Jesus encounters, he invites to the table. It doesn't matter who it is. And so then you have this influential one because there was this, in the same Matthew chapter 8, there was this centurion that came to Jesus. And he was a powerful man. He was a leader. That's, that's you. That's you. He had his own military regime and everything else, and he was like this very influential guy. He had been through battles. He had been through wars because that's what centurions were. They had been shot. They had been stabbed. They had a testimony that would rock the world. And he comes to Jesus, and he says to him, one of my servants is so sick, and I need you. And Jesus says, I'll come. He said, no, I don't want you to come. I just want you to say the word, and it'll happen because you're a busy man, and I understand what it's like to be a busy man. And Jesus said, man, there is no greater faith that I've seen than from you you and so this influential person Jesus wasn't intimidated by the centurion he invited the centurion the influential one to the table too so at the table right now we've got somebody that nobody wants to touch and then somebody that everybody wants to kill and he don't care because he's been through it and then at the same time we're over here and we've got this possessed guy because you know when Jesus went across the water to this area in the scripture in the gospels to an area that was hardly any Jews in and there was all Gentiles so number one Jesus is in an area where Gentiles are and I can guarantee the Pharisees didn't show up there why because this message is not for the Gentiles this message is for the Jews it was important that the Jews keep the law but guess how many Gentiles we got in this place today 100%. And Jesus came across, and the first thing that he did was he encountered this man who was possessed. Now, depending on which gospel you read, okay, there might be even two men. I don't know exactly why there was a contra contradiction, but nonetheless, here's this man, he's possessed. And he's so possessed that his wife's kicked him out. She ain't even in here, is she? She's over there. So he's, his wife has kicked him out. He's living among the tombstones. He's living in the cemetery. So here he is, and Jesus comes over, and Jesus doesn't have to come to him. He comes to Jesus. He said, what the heck are you doing here? He said, don't mess with me. Why do you want to mess with me? Don't mess with me. And Jesus says he cast out these demons, and he sent them over into a bunch of pigs. Remember that? And the pigs went down in the water, and it killed the pigs. And the farmers came to Jesus and said, you got to get out of town right now because we don't want you here because you're bad for business. 
pretty much what they were saying. And so Jesus went and he invited. And we have no idea what happened to the rest of this man's life. He was naked as could be. He didn't have any stitch of clothes on. He was living in a cemetery. And now all of a sudden, he's completely free of possession. What do you do now? How do you go back home? You go back home and you don't have a stitch of clothes? Hey, honey. It's been a while. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Come on. Think about this. Jesus invited somebody that nobody wanted to touch, somebody that was shot at, killed, said ready to sought after people, didn't like him because he was centurion, but he was thoughtful enough to care about his servant, so he was a caring man, obviously. And then he invited a naked man who had possessed, who had been possessed by a demon, several demons, a legion. So, you understand? This is not a very religious gathering that Jesus is assembling here. And so then, let's go a little further because, because then there was the desperate one because we can think of all kinds of people. There was this woman who had been to every doctor, right? She had been to every single doctor. She had lost her family. Her children didn't want anything to do with her. Her husband had left her. She had no money left. She was as desperate as the day was long. And she said, Jesus is coming through, and I'm going to do what I can do to get to him. And he said, who in the world touched me? And they said, duh, like everybody. That's what they said in the scripture. Not exactly like that, but that's how I put it. And he turned around and he seen this woman. And this woman, she could have been a block over. Jesus could have been a block over. But the timing was just right because this woman was desperate enough to push through, to push through, to get down in humility. And nobody wanted to touch her. Nobody wanted anything to do with her. And Jesus turned around and said, I want to invite you to the table too. What an all-star team. Right? But then there was another one, right, that... Jesus spent time with all kinds of people that was looked down upon. There was one woman, if you remember correctly, that had been caught in adultery. The only way you catch somebody is if you're watching them. That's a whole other story. It's almost like you were intending to get them. Wonder if they even kind of even hooked her up with him just so that they could catch her doing it so that they could take her before Jesus, right? And she was looked down upon and, and Jesus chased off all of her accusers. Every single one of them were gone. And it was such an amazing scene, wasn't it? You could hear the rocks just thump, thump, thump because they're ready to kill her. And Jesus said, let, let him who has the, no sin cast the first stone. And, and there's this woman down on her knees probably begging for mercy. And Jesus probably gets right down there with her in the dirt and grabs her and holds her. And he says, now, honey, where are your accusers? And she looks up and she says, Hmm, dang. I don't know where they went. They gone. And could you imagine how her life would have been different after that day? Could you imagine that? And so Jesus invites somebody that doesn't want to be touched, or somebody that's not, not that he wants to be touched, right? But nobody's touching him because he's an outcast. He's inviting a military leader who's been shot at, probably wanted in numerous states and everything else now because he's killed people and everything else. He's invited this man to the table because of his faith. He's, uh, he's invited the look the, down upon. He's invited the desperate one over here, and he's invited the one that's possessed and don't have any clothes, and he's living in a cemetery. <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but I'm seeing a common theme here. Kingdom culture 
invites everybody. Kingdom culture invites the homosexual. Mm. Kingdom culture invites the black person and the white person. Kingdom culture invites the Hispanic. Kingdom culture invites the woman who's had three or four children out of wedlock and don't even know who some of the daddies are. Kingdom culture invites the one who's so poor they don't know where their next meal's coming from and they don't do anything but beg. And kingdom culture invites the one that's so rich he don't even know what to do with all his money. Because every single one of those people have a common theme among them. That everyone need Jesus. And every single one of them have been invited by the Son of God, the King of Kings, to come to the table. But you know what the most important person he's invited this morning? You. You. So here are those kids out there. He's invited every single one of those kids to the table. And as, as some of them, their parent, I have a duty to make sure that they know that they've been invited to the table and there's nothing they can do that Jesus would reject that invitation, that Jesus would tear it up and say, you're invited no more. There's nothing that they can do, ever do. Amber, how many times did you try to get it right and you didn't? Okay. <laughs> and you still got invited back to the table. Yeah. Cynthia, how many times? And you still got invited. Now, Scott's, Scott's, he's possessed. He don't even know where he's at, right? He ain't even got no clothes on. We didn't want to ask him. He can't even remember anything because he's been possessed this whole time. He's like, where the heck my clothes go, right? Jim, how many times have you been rejected? How many times have somebody talked bad about you? How many times has somebody said something to you? But God still invites you back to the table. Jesus still invites you back to the table. And Rhett, and no matter how influential or how powerful you are, you're never going to be as powerful as God. But he still invites you to the table, even though, and he still gives you that heart to care for people. But he's invited me today. He's invited you. And all these things make me appreciate kingdom culture more than any before any time before in my life because I don't want to be known as the one who's the Pharisee I want to be the one who's like Jesus and says you're invited and you're invited and you're invited and by golly you're invited too right so God help us today today we pray over all of us that you that you God would allow us to build that culture in our life God God, there's a culture that we get the opportunity, we get to choose, God. We said this early in this series that, that it is not, we are not a victim anymore. As an adult, we have a choice, and today we choose to build this culture that you uh, desire to have in our life, and God, we want to invite everybody to the table. God, we realize that it's probably going to make some people uncomfortable. God, we realize that it's even going to make us uncomfortable at times. It's going to challenge us, to say the least. And there's people that are going to talk bad about us because the Pharisees did too. But God, I ain't worried about the Pharisees. I'm more worried about everybody else. God, I thank you so much. And thank you, God, for the religious ones. Thank you for the Pharisees. Thank you for the ones that keep the law. But God, I believe that the ones that were most excited about Jesus were the ones who were desperate for something new, something different. The untouchable, the outcast, the hurt, the lonely, the desperate, the possessed, the powerful, the influential God, all of them. Thank you today, God, for that great mercy. We love you and we adore you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks again for joining us for today's podcast. You can find out more about us at lhchampton.com. See you soon.